Hello and welcome to the Decode Podcast. I'm Matt Landers and I'm joined with my co-host once again, Will Johnston. Hey. And Kellen Mace. Hey everybody. And we are the DevRel team from WP Engine. We work on front-end everything uh, and specifically looking at how it integrates with uh, headless WordPress. So if you want to find us, you can find us at developers.wpengine.com. Please join our Discord server, as well as uh, check us out on the podcast, which we launch every Monday, and then we live code every Friday at 1 Central, and we launch new blogs and video tutorials every week. So check us out and learn a little something. And engage with us and let us know what you would like to hear or see from us in the future. All right. For this episode, we are going to be talking about open source development, uh, everything around that, what it looks like, um, maintaining a project, how you fund the project, um, and some issues that have, uh, can arise from that. So this kind of stems from a, some Twitter drama that's been going on around the Babel project. Uh, the Babel, if you don't know what it is, you've probably used it uh, almost certainly, especially if you've used any of these modern frameworks, but it allows you to take advantage of future Atmoscript uh, proposals today. So like a few years ago, you could use classes in JavaScript before they were actually available to work in the browsers. So it would you use the class in your code or whatever the proposal is, whatever the syntax is, and then Babel will compile it to something that's compatible with current browsers. And you can target whatever version of Atmoscript you want with that. Um, a lot of cool configuration options there, but it's used in pretty much all of the build tools at this point. Uh, sometimes it gets replaced by TypeScript, depending on how rudimentary your project is, but it usually is taking care of some of the some of the uh, build process for you. So, Will, you want to run us through some of the controversy around Babel uh, that's been going on. Yes, yeah, so uh, Babel put out a post talking about funding, uh, funding for the project, and I think the post is titled, uh, Babel is used by millions, so why are we running out of money? And the gist of it is that uh, the Babel team has been, uh, you know, making contributions over years, implementing new ECMAScript proposals, uh, getting hundreds of millions or at least 100 million downloads per month of the uh, of the Babel library and is not able to secure enough funding to sustain the team. Now, the controversy is uh, one of the founders of Babel posted on Twitter um, pointing at a particular uh, contributor, current contributor to Babel, and stated that there hasn't been enough work from this individual uh, to warrant a the amount of money they're paying him. Um, and... The evidence for that was pointed to, uh, he pointed to comments, uh, commits, PR reviews, all the public stuff that you can see on GitHub. And so that's where the controversy started. Now, I think there's a good mix out there of, of people on both sides of, uh, 
of the fence. Some people defending the uh, sort of the senior contributor to Babel and other people defending the uh, the founder. And, um, you know, without without necessarily taking any sides, I think this in this podcast, hopefully we can illuminate why uh, there's no great way to approach a situation like this. And uh, and open source projects are very difficult not only to start, but to run, to fund. Um, and they're very hard on the maintainers for sure. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that a little bit before we dive into the financials of it. But like, what I think that uh, if you haven't worked on an open source project before or been part of one in some capacity, you may think that it's just you're just coding all day, writing your little project, working on it, pushing out changes, and that may be the case for smaller projects. Uh, but the bigger the project gets, the more um, the more tasks that are involved in maintaining that project. If there's a lot of people using it, they're filing issues with bugs. They're asking for new features. Um, I think uh, developers are very uh, entitled when it comes to open source software. They'll go and like post an issue and just expect you to fix it in some timely manner. Uh, so there's a lot of management uh, that goes on whenever the project reaches a certain size that I don't think is being taken into account in this particular case. Um, there's also on top of that is that if you do have full-time maintainers that you are paying out of the project then someone has to be responsible for sales, essentially somebody's got to go out and do fundraising. Uh, somebody has to send checks to the <laughs> send checks and quotes. Uh, to the project, and then that money has to be dispersed between the team members. But and somebody also has to manage the team, right? In a corporate world or at a company, there uh, you have managers who manage the team. They make sure everybody's syncing up. There, especially as the project gets larger, there will be different uh, teams or committees of people who make decisions about the trajectory of the project. A lot of this happens outside of source control and outside of GitHub. Um, and like you said, thinking about where you can get funding uh, on open source is a big deal that is not necessarily in the public eye all the time. Um, so I think of uh, Vue.js with Evan Yu. Evan Yu is a, a great example of somebody who does make uh, public contributions to Vue.js on a regular basis. He, you know, makes code commits, comments, all those things. He's able to do this because he has a team uh, surrounding him, and and his goal was to be a contributor from a code perspective. But he has a team around him that supports him. They manage the project. They help, you know, syncing things, and um, and generally they work on how to secure funding. Uh, and with Babel, that same process has to happen. So you can't point at any individual and say, hey, they're not making commits and this is why uh, they don't deserve to be paid, essentially. Right. On most dev teams, at least, like I can speak to WP Engine, like if you have four or five developers, you've got an engineering manager, a product owner, a product manager. There's so yep. many different uh, support pieces. You know, a scrum master, 
uh, program managers. There's a lot that goes into managing development lifecycle that you take for granted, I think. And when a project the size of Babel, you know, it's going to have a lot of those components to it. Like who's deciding what to build next? Uh, who's deciding what bugs are urgent? Like how are you triaging all these things coming in? How are you deciding what, uh, how to keep the project relevant, especially in the JavaScript world? Uh, I think they've done a pretty amazing job at the support that they've given on that project, especially one with 30 million downloads uh, a week that's used in almost every JavaScript project these days that you can think of. Um, pretty um, kind of sobering to think that a project like that can't get the funding that it needs to support the the people that are working on it. Uh, it makes me wonder, like, what what is the right viability model for open source? I think some projects are clearly able to work uh, with open source. There's, you know, Linux, uh, Apache, um, what Python, Vue.js. There are plenty of examples of uh, projects that are able to make open source work and get the funding they need in order to push things forward. And there are different models that people use um, to get funding. So, you know, some get funding solely through donations. Uh, others get uh, get grant money from foundations uh, and others can secure funding through uh, other channels. So say uh, I have a, a project that is open source and then I have a paid support uh, or paid services version or arm of that project. Uh, so there are different ways that you can get funding, but I think it is tricky. I mean, it's not a guaranteed thing. So I, you know, my heart goes out to anyone who tries to start an open source project because the the other thing that comes with open source or really any project in general is a ton of scrutiny from um, people all over the internet. And if you can imagine, you just want to create this uh, software release it to people for free and you get a lot of people blogging about how they hate it that is uh definitely disheartening when when you're working on open source projects yeah we've seen some of that happen with these articles that get get written that say why you should never use a particular framework or tool and it's like that's a free thing somebody wrote that a lot of people are using You've taken the time out of your day just to go bash. <laughs> yeah, It's one thing to do comparisons, right? And say, oh, I prefer this tool. Yes. I hear the pros and cons. But yeah, to go out of your way just to bash one particular technology, particularly if, if like you said, someone's given their heart, heart and soul and doing this like in their off hours just to maintain this yeah. thing for the community. You know, I would say that uh, um, is not appreciated. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I don't think that it's that you shouldn't say anything negative about a framework, but it's like just point out the reasons that you don't like it and move on. Not necessarily. And then definitely have, you know, your a solution to how you, what you would do instead. Uh, but to just come out and say why you should never use something is kind of uh, which this happened recently. And that's why we're saying it. Like somebody came out and said not to use Tailwind. Um, I think which, criticism is how open source 
projects and projects in general thrive. You know, you, you, you move forward because somebody has an issue with uh, the way a library does something and they offer a suggestion that says, hey, it could be done better this way. And that's that's a an example of healthy criticism and how you can push a project forward by by saying, well, what if we did thing a different way? It would or what if we added this feature or something? It would uh, push the project forward and reach potentially reach a larger audience. And that's a way you can actively contribute to open source projects uh, by opening issues on projects uh, and even going as far as to submit PRs and and things like that. But uh, to simply sit back in your chair and write a post talking about um, everything that's wrong with this project and offering no solution uh, and and really having it be highly opinionated, right, uh, and not necessarily pointing out things that are uh, done differently with another project or something that might make more sense depending upon what uh, what scenario you have. So, you know, there's always a different tool for a different job. And sometimes, you know, you can't use the same tool for everything. And if you, if you say, well, you know, I used Vue.js on this one project and I had a good time, so I'm going to use it on everything from here on out forever. That may not be the best uh, best option for you. And sometimes, depending upon the team, depending upon what you're doing, you uh, you might find a tool to be more useful, right? So just trash talking it and not offering a reason necessarily like when you might want to use it is a problem. Go back to your comments. Um... Will about uh, being respectful, like and not going out of your way to attack, you know, um, a project that somebody has, you know, um, put a lot of thought and energy into, and other people rely on. I would say too, one thing that's important for me is to um, that I would want, you know, all devs to try to try to take to heart is to be respectful when they're uh, dealing with the, the maintainer of these projects. So one th- example of that that comes to mind for me is um, like GitHub issues. You know, I've seen some open source projects where somebody is maintaining this library for for free and, you know, giving you this this free value. So somebody's using this library and then in the comments they say, you know, this bug exists. I can't believe I can't believe you. You missed that idiot. Go fix it. Right. <laughs> these these kinds of like like, you know, uh, you know, disparaging remarks and stuff. They will publicly po- post that on these GitHub repos. You know, and, and tell the maintainer like, oh, this has to be, be fixed. I can't believe you mixed the, you missed it. Then maybe they'll wait a week or two, and you'll see another comment saying, I can't believe you've taken this long. I said the I said the problem was there, and now you know, and it's still not fixed. I need this for my client's project. I can't believe you, right? That kind of stuff, like uh, you know, in my mind, doesn't belong in open source, and you need to. Um, you need to realize that these um, open source maintainers, a lot of them like have a separate full-time job. They're they're maintaining this on nights and weekends and giving you free value that you are pulling in to your project and benefiting from. You know, so you need to um, you know, go the extra mile to be number one, be respectful, but number two, help yourself. As Will said, you could, you know, f- if you have a technical solution you think would solve the issue, that could be a new PR, you know, to to the project and you can um, help the maintainer rather than you know, criticize and uh, 
and be negative. And I, I think a lot of projects, a lot of open source projects, when you're starting a project and you want it to be open source, there are a lot of things that you do up front in order to enable people to make contributions. So uh, it starts with, you might have a readme that instructs a developer, like how to get the project up and running. Uh, you decide what license you're going to use, whether it's BSD, MIT, or if you're going to GPL or something. Uh, you you need to create your contribution guidelines. This can go as far as uh, coding standards, commit message standards, how to open a PR, uh, how to respond to issues, how to how to open an issue. A lot of people have like a format for how uh, it bug reports and and different things like that. Um, you have to make sure you keep all keep all these in mind when you're starting an open source project. And so if you find an issue with a project and you go out to GitHub, the first place you should start is by looking for these contribution guidelines and, and making sure that uh, you're following the standard that is set by the open source maintainers. And uh, oftentimes you'll find it will help you to debug an issue you're having if that's the case because you will have to produce like an actual bug report that says hey here's the expected behavior here's what happened um also another thing that you want to do when you are submitting an issue for an open source project or any project in general is search to first search through the issues to see if you can uh find one that has already been reported and then you can have a discussion about it. Uh, but I think open source maintainers go through a lot of effort to make sure that there are guidelines around these things. And it, it's pretty uh, frustrating when somebody kind of disregards all that and just instead attacks the, the project. Yeah, it, not, not a good look. And uh, the guy who attacked Babel, who happened to be the original co-founder, has since deleted his tweet storm and apologized. <laughs> so, it's not something you want to look back on yourself to and see that either. I think um, as developers, we have a lot of opinions and some of them, and maybe you think you're right, but like just be cognizant that there are people at the other end of that thing. They're putting a lot of effort. One thing I would say that everyone should try to do, every developer, is just go pull down a project that you use all the time, get it running locally, and just pretend that you're going to make a change to it. And like, look at the amount of effort that it would take you to do that and to do it well, test it, you know, describe what you did in a PR, uh, explain any changes, go through that whole process. Like it's it's not a small amount of effort. So the people who are working on these projects are putting in a lot of effort for free a lot of the time. And uh, I'm certainly appreciative of that. And even the projects that I don't use, I tend to learn from if they're popular projects because I can go look through their code and see how they accomplish certain things. Helps me become a better developer. Um, so I really appreciate the open source community for sure. I think one of the things that, came up, you know, was the funding issue, which I, I'd like to dive into now and the different types of funding, how they work and um, different models that we've we've seen. The Babel one in particular uh, was just getting donations from people and companies. 
Uh, so what they settled on at some point was that they were going to pay the full-time maintainers 130000 a year. Um, and then uh, they started doing that for Henry, which is one of the people on the project. Uh, but if you think about that, 130 k for somebody maintaining something like Babel, which is highly complex, it's essentially a compiler uh, that's pluggable, um, is a really small salary in today's world, especially I think he lives in New York City. Like that's not a that's a junior level developer salary in a lot of these cities. Yeah. Another um, another thing I'd point out there related to Henry is that he uh, there are other maintainers on Babel. He's not the only one. And other maintainers have mentioned that he's primarily the one who contacts companies and tries to explain, hey, hey you know, here's why you should support us. Here's what we're doing. Uh, and he's also the one who gives a lot of talks at internal events. And uh, so generally he works on fundraising and that's a not a very public thing, right? It's not something you can go to GitHub and see his work. Um, so, But that is something that is absolutely necessary for any successful open source project. Right. And speaking at events, I mean, that's important, too, to like keep it relevant, to make people aware of the project, to keep it moving right so there's a lot that goes into that um but still just the funding in general just that salary seems so small to me for somebody doing that level of effort and then the team i think there are four people that were the primary contributors they've all decided to take 6k a month now which is seventy-two thousand a year is what they're going to pay themselves to maintain this i would assume that they also will have to have some type of part-time job or something uh, to help support that. But um, you would think that a project like Babel, in my mind anyways, would you would have plenty of funding from like a Facebook, a Google, a Microsoft. <laughs> like These companies with flushed with cash, you would expect to be supporting some of these projects that they definitely have uh, things that depend on inside of their companies. I think that we need more corporate responsibility there, especially for uh, these tech companies that are taking advantage of this open source software and a lot of times profiting and benefiting from it as well. Um, there needs to be some some method and some um, you know consistent and reliable way to fund these these projects. So one and probably the primary way open source projects are funded is through sponsors or or donations such as like github supports donations now patreon has uh, been a big one for uh, a lot of open source projects uh, open collective is another big one um but there are other we kind of mentioned them already but there are other ways that projects make money and one is offering professional services uh you know how to use this open source project or supporting the open source project so larger companies can pay for dedicated support. Uh, I know that that's fairly popular. Um, another way is through employee sponsors. So many people make it their mission to work on open source projects and they may be hired for a company, uh, but one of their primary jobs is to continue 
contributing to that open source project. Um, and so that's kind of a, an employee sponsorship. Other ways are open core. Uh, so Kellen, maybe you can explain open core. Sure. Um, yeah. Going back to the previous one you mentioned, employer sponsored, you know, one of the examples that comes to mind for me in, in the headless WordPress space um, would be Jason Ball. So he works uh, with us at WP Engine. And that's a perfect example because Jason um, is the founder of the WP GraphQL project, which turns your WordPress backend into a GraphQL API. And it's a free open source project used by many. Um, and uh, and he's now um, previously was at Gatsby and they were funding the development of that open source project. And now is doing um, that that uh, that same maintenance work, um, but sponsored by WP Engine now. Um, so yeah, going to open core then for our next model for, for types of funding. Uh, an example of this would be Tailwind, um, the popular CSS uh, library. So they have um, uh, Tailwind it, itself. Um, the, the company Tailwind Labs has uh, released and it's open source for anybody to use and leverage. And for any developers on the call or on the um, listening to the podcast, you, you've likely heard of it because it's, you know, uh, it's loved by many and um, lots of, you know, got, got gotten lots of press and lots of people talking about it lately. Uh, but that company, um, Tailwind Labs, they've also released uh, a, a paid product called Tailwind UI. So if you want these um, these kind of pre-configured and pre, pre-built UI um, components that you can pull into your project and use uh, that are built on top of Tailwind, then you know for for um, for a fee uh, you can you can pay for those. So they use you know the money uh, made from Tailwind UI to finance the development of Tailwind CSS, the open source library. And the WordPress space, another example that comes to mind uh, for me is something like WooCommerce. Um, this is a you know free open source e-commerce plugin, um, the most popular way of doing e-commerce on on the web, in fact. And uh, the plugin itself is free, um, but there are many, you know, paid um, premium add-ons uh, that you can, you know, layer on top of WooCommerce to give it various pieces of functionality. So that's a way for um, uh, WooThemes, the previous owner, but now uh, that plugin is owned by Automatic. So that'd be a way for them to, you know, finance future development of of WooCommerce. Another um, another example that we talk about all the time for headless development is Next.js. So uh, Next.js is an open source project uh, funded by Vercel and Vercel offers, uh, you know, services on top of Next.js and, um, and, you know, ancillary services that have nothing to do with Next.js necessarily, but that is, that's the way that they fund Next.js development. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know if I would, uh, count Next and Vercel as open core. That's more of um, they. I feel like Next.js is a way to drive people into Vercel, which is their hosting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I think of open core, I think of like where you have a a free version of something, and then there's a premium version that has some features that aren't part of that free version. Uh, kind of like uh, advanced custom fields. It's like you can get advanced custom fields, but then so the, the open core part is the free advanced custom fields that you can get. Uh, but then there's ACF Pro, which is paid for. So if you want certain content types or whatever they're, you know, the different types, then they may only be available in Pro. Okay. My big pushback 
with open core like that is that then you you're incentivizing you know moving some of that functionality into the paid product because you need to get paid uh and the community loses out on some of that as well and it's really hard for um to draw that line like it's hard once you are reliant on that income as the developer to really put your time and effort into core now right like you need to get paid <laughs> you're providing this service this value uh and then we we kind of saw that with gatsby where gatsby was kind of open core and then they created their incremental builds which are proprietary that you had to go pay for and to me that felt like the wrong place to add that uh, open core piece because it really debilitated your ability to use Gatsby without having incremental builds on any sizable project. Uh, and they since have decided not to go that route uh, and bake that into the, the free version of the product. Uh, so I think open core to me, it's a, it's worked for a lot of people. I think that it's a good model, but you have to be cognizant of that, like, push and pull that you're going to have between what should go in core and what, what shouldn't. And sometimes that may not, you may not end up with the most altruistic reasons for that. <laughs> it could be like a lot of people need this feature. So we should put it in the premium version because then more people will want to buy it rather than providing that value out to the community. Yeah. I don't really know what model the, I would put NetJS and Vercel under. I think it's just, you know, it's more the NetJS piece is more of a um, more of a marketing piece to drive people into Vercel. Uh, it's kind of like marketing through engineering, I would say. Uh, another one that I've seen is adding professional services on top of that. So you have a you create real, a really popular open source project, and then you go out and actually do services around that. So one good example of that would be React Router. So the, the people who created and maintain React Router, they created a training company called React Training, and then they went around and uh, got companies that pay to sponsor training on React, essentially, not just React Router. <laughs> that would be a pretty narrow training subject, I think. But you could go in and do a week-long React training at you know, some enterprise company and they'll pay a lot of money for that. The issue with that model is now the way that you make money has no input into actually maintaining and building the thing that you want to support yourself to build. Now you have to go do these training sessions. You have to take time away from contributing to the project to go make money. Uh, and that's why we're seeing that same team. So the React Router and this is something I'm really interested in seeing how this goes, but this, the same people who created that are now creating a remix, uh, which is remix.run. You can go read about it, I guess, but you can't use it yet unless you <laughs> get in the beta. Uh, but they're now creating a framework for React that uh, is fully paid. So it's no longer open source. So they're, they're looking for other models. I'm very interested in how this goes because it's something that uh, Will and I and our other co-founder, Matt, tried almost a decade ago now and it did not go well for us it was not a successful venture to go try to charge for for a software like that uh, that most people are using getting elsewhere for free so i'm definitely curious to see how that goes i think it, they may be more successful because they do have a big following and um have some you know easy 
customers they can sell to, but I'm curious to see how that actually plays out for them. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that's how the majority of projects go. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, open source projects, um, they might have a link to their Patreon, Open Collective, um, whatever it may be. Um, but really, if, if you you know look at the stats or see some of the posts that these these people um, releasing how much money their project has brought in via donations, it's often like very, very low. You know, in an ideal mm-hmm. world, it would be something like Babel that's just incredibly popular and used so heavily. You know, ev- everyone would just chip in. Right. All these, you know, especially large corporations with deep pockets. Right. For them, it might be a drop in the bucket. But um, but in the aggregate, if all of them were chipping in like that could could, you know, finance the project and and uh, help pay the maintainers time and so on. Um, But unfortunately, that doesn't happen if people aren't forced to pay for something, then they just often click download and call it a day and, you know, don't make those payments. Uh, One cool way I've seen for um, for making sure open source maintainers get paid uh, is for um, for freelancers and agencies. This is something I've heard some of them describe uh, in the WordPress space, at least. Um, what they'll do is they'll put together like a, a scope of work and, and an estimate uh, for you know a new client project. And then they'll bake into um, that, that cost a little extra money uh, to pay for donations for any of the like open source plugins that they plan to use for that project. Let's bake those into the um, into the cost that you know their clients uh, end up paying, so that when the money comes in, it's already allocated. They know you know my company and my operating expenses you know come out of this much, and then I have a little left over that go to you know the open source projects that we that we used on this one. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. It's you know not everyone might you might not have that luxury because by doing that you're inflating your costs slightly, you know, and if you're trying to you know compete. Uh, with other agencies out there, like in your bid comes in slightly higher, like, you know, that that's um, maybe not always an option. But if you're somebody who's fortunate enough to be in the position where you have a little wiggle room in there and could bake in those donations, I think that's a really cool way to to do it, to support these projects. Yeah, absolutely. I think it needs to be more of a responsibility on the people using these products that are, are benefiting from it and profiting from it to give back to the community. I do think we're going to have to have some systematic way that this happens in order to get enough money into the open source community uh, to support some of these projects. I can't imagine being on a project that's smaller, but it may it may even be, I don't know this to be true, but it could be easier on a smaller niche product to find someone to support it just because if you're a company and you're relying on something, in it is smaller you might feel more obligated to support that so that you can continue right. to rely on it versus something that's so big like Babel, where i kind of made the assumption like these guys are probably getting plenty of funding when i saw this i was <laughs> like this is crazy <laughs> like, right and it's, how are they not making enough money like, that's yeah it thing. reminds you of, it reminds you of big companies um big tech companies uh just swallowing up you know t- tiny startups and stuff if you're you know apple or microsoft and you see some startup with some technology you think is interesting you might want to build on top of right a lot of times the easy solution for them is like i'm gonna throw a bunch of money on it acquire that company and then we own the tech so we don't have to worry about these you know founders going off somewhere else or or abandoning the project or whatever else we'll just swallow it up so that it's ours now you know and something like that (laughs) i'm reminded of that's an interesting point too about the employer sponsored that i wanted to bring up like if you are going to create a project and then go 
the employer sponsored route, I would imagine that there's some fear that like when you get hired by that company, they're going to take your thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you got to be pretty careful there too. It's like, okay, I want you to sponsor me. That's great. But, you know, I don't want to lose control over this project that I've sunk years into uh, for you to sponsor me. So there's some uh, details there. I know that with Jason, he has a lot of freedom at WP Engine and we're not, he's not required to work on anything else. He only works on WP GraphQL, which is what he's looking for. I think that's the ideal situation, but I can imagine there not being such an altruistic motive behind some employers that are trying to like get control of a project. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely if you have something out there, I'd be wary of that and make sure you have all your legal I's dotted and T's crossed before you hand over rights to your GitHub org. <laughs> yeah. What, um, what other models are there that you guys have seen? Uh, well, one thing I've seen is projects that start as open source and end up taking uh, private equity or venture capital funding, which is always a tough decision. I mean, even if you're starting a company, it's a tough decision to take venture capital funding or private equity because uh, that will inevitably come with strings attached uh, that may make you have to monetize your project in a way where you didn't intend to monetize it. Uh, but that is something that we saw with NPM for sure. Not necessarily that they ended up monetizing it in a way they didn't want to, but, uh, but they were open source for a long time and then ended up taking venture capital money. Right. As soon as you take money, your incentives get shifted to making money. Yes. (laughs) You have to start to think about that. And I'm not saying that taking money is bad. Taking money can be a great thing. I just think that you got to know, how am I going to maintain this thing versus what am I going to do? How am I going to make money? The nice thing about taking money is it it could turn into something, you know, employer sponsored like where the maintainers can continue to work on the open source project. And then you have money now to hire people who can work on paid parts of the product. you just got to be really deliberate about how that's going to work out. What if there's some system where the more popular a project got and the more time it took to maintain, the uh, the cost would increase. So starting from nothing, you know, if you put it put out some open source pro- project, um, this could be some third party service that that you know has that kind of variable uh, variable funding or whatever. So you could put it out there for free, and then if it you know b- becomes very popular, maybe you would charge everyone using it, you know a few dollars or something like that um, per year, something like very, very, very cheap. Right. But it's, it's low maintenance at that point. You know, it doesn't require a lot of your time and attention. Um, but then as, as the numbers, as the numbers, you know, creep, creep up and, uh, and you are you know, inputting data to this, this third party system, like for how, how much of your time you're contributing to it, it would adjust the cost accordingly, you know? So I'm thinking of something like Babel when I, when I say that, you know, where, you know, what, what would happen if, um, at that point, it's not open source any, anymore. You do have to pay for it. But you know, if if it's some project that's in the millions of users like that, if you charge each of them, you know, fifty cents or something like that, like it's probably very affordable for for a lot of people using it. And if that would pay for all the development costs and you know um, maintain this critical piece of in- infrastructure, that seems like it could be could be a win. You know, something like that. Right. 
one thing I've thought about is if there were if there were like a subscription service I could subscribe to that would then distribute my subscription to all of the projects that I use in my project. So like maybe it would monitor my GitHub and then look through all of my dependencies and figure out which ones I'm and then weight it, you know, based on the ones that I'm using the most. Uh, and then just distribute that money to the projects for me. I think that would be, I would sign up for that and do like, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks a month. Uh, I feel like a lot of developers that take advantage of open source would do that too. Um, Cause we all are getting decent salaries. We can all afford to pay, you know, 25, 50 bucks a month. If we can go buy Netflix, we should be able to go uh, spend a little bit on open source out of our salaries. If that's going to support the community and, you know, drive more uh, projects to end up out there. Right. It, it reminds me um, of what Brave Browser is trying to do for for the web, you know, where if you sign up for their their BAT basic attention token system, you know, because it's, it's, it's the browser, it knows all the sites you're visiting. You know, if you've opted into this, then it will give the uh, BAT you know, cryptocurrency to um, the sites that you visit, visit most often and reward them for, you know, for that, for uh for their patrons who visit frequently and so on so yeah something like that only for what packages do you use and now we're gonna go you know distribute like that'd the money. be uh, that'd be pretty cool i would i would it definitely would. do it it would yeah i choose a few people that i support now through like patreon or get sponsors and but i'd rather it i'd rather be able to like disperse that to more projects because i'm sure there's a lot of projects i don't even know that i'm using that i would love to be able to, to support and I, you know, you never want it to like fall onto the individuals, the corporations that are making so much money should step up and fund a lot of these projects. But I also think that it's our responsibility as developers of getting these salaries that we get to give back as well, because our careers are helped by using this software and taking advantage of the time and effort that people are putting into the open source community. Yeah, something I think about is a lot of times you'll hit npm install and it'll say like, you know, 200 packages that you installed are looking for funding. And um, and I just think about that and I'm like, oh, OK, I didn't even know I had 200 packages. I mean, obviously, like, you know that there are 200 packages in there, but your dependencies are only you might have five dependencies in your package JSON and it installs a bunch of open source uh, libraries. And so you end up using them without even realizing it. Yeah. And by the way, if you are in in a project, just go type NPM fund and it will give you a list of places you can go to fund the different uh, packages that are in your project. So highly recommend that if you're just looking for um, people that you might want to contribute to. You can find uh, through NPM fund, it will list out through your dependency tree all the different uh, packages that are looking for funding and you can find someone there that like you love and want to give back to definitely definitely do that yeah i think um for this we've covered most of what we wanted to talk about i think we just wanted to raise awareness to open source the funding models and uh some of the issues that we've seen in the community recently uh the the main goal here for me is just say hey look we're all developers we're all we're taking advantage of this software and we need to re- be respectful of the people who are dedicating their time and effort into it. Uh, even if you don't use a project, just recognize that there's a person on the, under the other end of that project that's dedicating time to that thing. And they 
probably aren't getting paid. <laughs> like most of them are not getting paid to do that, to work on that project. Uh, I, hopefully that can change in the future. Um, but yeah, just keep that in mind. You know, there are, there are real people, real developers helping you out every day. They're on your team and you don't even know it. <laughs> you guys have got any final thoughts on this or other things you want to talk about? Uh, not for me. Just I'll just say thank you for to any uh, open source maintainers who are out there who may be listening, and to everybody else. As Matt said, you know, be respectful and and uh, rather than complaining and GitHub or whatever else, like try to you know contribute and um, and just be respectful. Yeah, I'd say open source is always looking for new contributors. So uh, before you are super critical of people in the open source community or particular project maintainers, uh, maybe first think about becoming an open source contributor yourself. Yeah, one easy way to do that. I know that I've done, I've been guilty of this where I'll go to a project and I want to get started and I'm like, the docs here are terrible. Like, <laughs> I can't find how to do this one thing. And imagine being an open source maintainer and then you also have to maintain your docs. That's one place where it's easy for you to step in. You don't have to learn how to build the project or submit a, a crazy PR or follow any coding standard. Just go write some docs for some projects that you used. Most of them can use some help on the documentation side and it's an easy way to get started uh, contributing. So highly recommend that because uh, I would love to read your docs when I'm you know, starting to use that new project. Uh, that's That's one huge Huge area um, that maintainers need help with. That's pretty easy for somebody to jump in, especially if you're familiar with a package. So go out there and contribute to some open source projects, but also go out and fund some of these projects. If you have a good developer salary and you have extra money you can spend, uh, definitely go out, choose some projects that uh, you're excited about or that you use all the time and use the GitHub sponsors, use Patreon, Open Collective, uh, whatever method you can find. And hopefully somebody will build that subscription one day because I'd like to uh, sign up for that <laughs> and start distributing uh, some of my funds out to some of these projects that I use. So go out there, use open source and contribute and happy coding. Talk to you